you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go with me, please, to Psalm chapter 1, the first chapter of Psalms. And I told the folks in the last service that as I thought on this passage, I'm certain that over the last uh, almost 40 years of formal ministry that I've preached out of this passage many times. But I would say that today is a unique sermon out of this passage for me. It's something that, that I wrote brand new. I can remember a conversation I had with Pastor Eckleberry um, some time back and that he would be in the practice of, at times, after preaching a sermon, disposing of the, of the outline so that he wasn't tempted to just go back and try to rehash it. And he wanted God to give him something new and fresh. I, I remember a conversation like that. Do you? Something like that? No? I'm, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I still keep them because I, I use, sometimes while I may not re-preach it, it's great seed thoughts sometimes for future studies and sermons. But nevertheless, this is a, a new sermon for me and something that I believe that the Lord revealed to me in His own way and good time that I would like to share with you here this morning. And I want to begin reading in verse number one. It's a short chapter. I'll read the whole chapter. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." Father God, I pray that you would fill me with thy spirit, use me to communicate this great truth that you've impressed upon my heart. Lord, I pray that we might leave here today saying truly it was good to be in your house. God, I pray for those that perhaps do not know thee, that today might be the day of salvation for them. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I want to bring you a message today entitled, Divine Happiness. Did you know that this world is filled with misery and care? How many of you are aware of that? Well, you just don't have to watch the news for very long to figure that out, do you? Or go to the Walmart. You can just see it in the parking lot. You can see it on the faces of people. You know, I have to say that there's strife and anger, disappointment and discontentment on every hand. Depression is at unprecedented levels and anxiety and depression medication is dispensed more than aspirin today. Did you know by a recent study, it was indicated by the Center for Disease Control that nearly 25% of all American adults are taking either antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. And so many of these people are looking for something that will help them to feel better. And the reality is that according to the Word of God, we can experience divine happiness. Now this divine happiness that the Bible speaks of in this passage begins with a benediction, blessed, or a blessing. And it literally means, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But we understand this, that this happiness comes from God and not from this old ungodly world. And that which God gives us can aptly be termed the joy of the Lord. So this divine happiness is really what we know in this New Testament dispensation as the joy of the Lord. And it is something given by God to those who truly delight themselves in Him and in His purpose for their life. When we consider this psalm, we can identify the characteristics that the life of the divinely happy person will lead. 
As I went through this and I began to consider all the things in my own experience that would inevitably steal my joy away, I thought. And when I began to consider all of the things that were the source of anxiety, consternation, depression, I found it addressed right here in this chapter. These six short verses that we read here today. And so I want to share with you not, you know, three easy steps to, you know, happiness. I, I, I suppose that through the years there have been thousands of books written on the subject. Years ago, a dad will recall there was a man named Charles Solomon that wrote a book called The Handbook of Happiness. And, and it was a good book. I think it is now considered to be a Christian classic. But the fact remains that uh, it's not something that you can say, okay, you do A, B, and C, and this is going to be the result. If it were that simple, everybody would be happy all of the time. And they'd be beating a pathway to your door to find out how you can easily do that. You know, it's not as easy as watching a YouTube video, you understand. Um, the, the thing is, um, I'm not a brain surgeon, but uh, I did watch a YouTube video and I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, so let's go for it, you know. And, and, and there, <laughs> so look, there are some people that think, well, I just, I, I want to have it that way. It's just got to be this, this, and this, and, and it's done. But listen, I'm going to give you some principles of the divinely happy person that are found in this. And what you're going to discover, perhaps, is one of the things that is causing a little stumbling block to you experiencing the joy of the Lord consistently in your life. And during this time, we need to experience the joy of the Lord. I'm a people person. You know that if you've been around me. I like to visit. I like to cut up with folks. I like to go out to eat all this. And all the stuff I like to do, we can't do, right? I still get to eat ice cream, but my wife won't let me have any. And, uh, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, I still get to eat chicken, but I have to take the skin off, all right? So, but anyway, I, I needed this message, and perhaps some of you do too. And uh, I'm just trusting that you're saying amen behind those masks and that you're smiling at me because it feels like you're leering at me and frowning. But um, okay, uh, in, anyhow, uh, I want you to notice some things here with me, please. Would you notice, first of all, as we consider those things that characterize the divinely happy or the, the joyous person, is first of all, we see here the practices of the happy person, the practice of their life. There are things that characterize that person who is experiencing the blessing of God's happiness or that divinely given joy. And the Bible reveals something here. And by, by the way, I want to just say, before I jump in with both feet, unless somebody, some covenant theologian among us shoot this down because I'm preaching an old covenant text, I want to say that the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15 that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Furthermore, let me say that Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6 reflects what is found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. In Malachi it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. In Hebrews 13.8 it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that not the same principle revealed? And let me just submit this to you, that in every dispensation of time, God's will for His people has not changed. God still wants time with His people. God still wants folks to be set apart unto Him. God still has a desire in every dispensation for people to love and honor Him with their life. Am, is, that, is that right? Am I right in that? As I've studied the Word of God, the nature and the character of God and His desires for His people has not changed. Now, the way in which He deals with them from dispensation to dispensation, that's another conversation, but His desires for us are the same in every dispensation. And so I want you to notice that what is given to us in verse number one reveal the practices of the happy person. And as a practice in their life, there are three choices that they make that are prohibitions. They say, I'm choosing not to do these three things in my life because they will only lead me to a place of discouragement and depression. First of all, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is, first of all, choosing not to associate themselves with the ungodly. Now, it's 
inevitable that as we go throughout this life, we're going to be around ungodly people. How many of you know that? Elsewise, we, we must need to go out of the world, the Bible says. So uh, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. But this is referring to us just kind of going where they travel, just kind of being around them and listening to what they have to say, and trying to use that to instruct our hearts as to the way in which we would choose to live. We're listening to the counsel of the world as we walk in the direction that they're going. And that's the first step in a downward spiral that leads you to the surrender of the divinely happy life or the joy of the Lord. Is to just get around the people of God and begin letting their earthly wisdom, which is sensual and devilish, instruct you in the way you should live. Now folks, I'm going to tell you something. That the Christian and the non-believer have nothing in common. Oh, you might have been born in the same state. You might enjoy the same types of foods. And you you might have uh, even gone to the same school. And you feel that you have so much in common. But of those things that are enduring and eternal, you have nothing in common with them. In fact, your very destinies are diametrically opposed. And so someone who has a diametrically opposed destiny to you is not going to be able to instruct you in the ways of the Lord or in how you should live. And I'm not talking about uh, an an investment banker telling you how to invest money. I'm not talking about someone giving you advice on the best mechanic to go see or a doctor or the best medication for your condition. I'm not talking about those things that are temporal. I'm talking about the things of substance that make up the life that God calls us to lead. And so, number one, the practice of the happy person is a practice he chooses not to associate with the ungodly. Secondly, he chooses or choosing not to align themselves with the ungodly, all right? And and what that means is, I'm going to go with them, show up to them, and be among them, all right? Now look, I right now have chosen to align myself with this pulpit, right? Now I can choose not to do that. But do you know what? There are many folks that think, for me to really truly be happy, I need to be around people that are laughing it up and having a good time. So you know what? They choose to go where they go and to be among them. So the first step is to take the counsel of the ungodly. That's just to choose to associate myself with them. The second step is to choose to make them my companions. To choose to make them my everyday companions. You say, well, I work with them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you choose to spend your discretionary time with them. You you choose to make them your confidants and those that you spend your days with when your time is free and unencumbered by work. The fact of the matter is that there are three stages of this downward spiral that ends in a lack of joy and happiness in the life. And the third is sitting in the seat of the scornful. So the truly divinely happy person will not associate themselves and go with and instruct their heart in the ways of the ungodly. All right. Secondly, he's not going to choose to companion with those that are ungodly or sinners, as it says here. And then thirdly, he'll choose not to sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, I'm not going to behave or act like an unsaved person. Okay, Because who is a scornful person? A scornful person, as I have studied this out, and Spurgeon brings this out in great detail, that he believes it's the atheist. Or the person who lives like an atheist, somehow that you are living a life as though there were no God, and you speak against those that do. You decide, not only am I going to listen to what they have to say, but I'm going to choose to align myself with them, and then I'm going to sit down in their seat, and I'm going to act just like they act. Now let me tell you something. How many of you are aware that the Christian life is not hard? You say, I think it's hard. It's not hard, it's impossible. That's why we have Christ living in us. You see, he said, without me, you can do nothing. So 
I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Why does he live inside of me? Because he knows that I do not have the capacity apart from him to live out his life, so he wants me to yield my body to him so that he may live his life out through me, okay? So the life of God is a life that I must choose. I must daily choose to die to to self-will and take up the cross of Jesus Christ and bear it gladly if I'm going to live the life that he's calling me to. But if I choose to go with the ungodly and I live a life of hypocrisy, I'm living a double life. Now, folks, I want to say this to you. In this world in which we live, it's hard enough to live one life, let alone two at the same time. And you will never find any enduring joy or happiness if you're always looking over your shoulder if you're always trying to to figure out how do I behave in this situation because I'm with this person or that person, listen, there should be a consistency to your life so that the person that you are at home is the person that you are at church, is the person that you are in the marketplace, is the person that you are with your friends or in the workplace. And what I'm simply saying is this, that the practices of a God-blessed, truly happy, divinely happy person will be not to seek the world for my joy and my happiness, not its people, not its way, because ultimately if I do, it will lead me to behaving, to be behaving as them and living as if there really is no God. Because after all, that's how they, in the end, will conduct themselves. So we see the practices of a happy person. Now, listen, I've been there where I behave like an unsaved person. Have you? Don't lie now, all right? Some of you are lying right now. You're behaving like an unsaved person already, all right? And you're betraying yourself. So look, when you do that, you're not happy. Yeah. How many of you have ever uh, had somebody step on your last nerve? Let me see your hand. Raise it up, all right? You've had somebody step on your last nerve. Now, how many of you that have had somebody step on your last nerve have opened your mouth and let them have it. Let me see your hand. Raise, raise it up big and high. All right. Raise it up big. How many of you have never done that? Bunch of stinking liars. And, uh, but, but look, it, we've probably all been there. Okay. Now, you let them have it. Man, you just gave them a piece of your mind even though you didn't have enough to spare. And the fact of the matter is this. Okay. When you went home at night, you laid your head down on the pillow. Did you think, boy, I sure gave them what for. You think, boy, did I ever live out the life of Jesus today. I've got the joy, joy, joy. Did you? Were you happy about your choices made? I doubt it. If the Spirit of God is in you, you didn't. You you didn't feel that way. So look, blessed or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Are you still with me? I've got to move quickly because I took too much time on point number one. Number two, the passions. We see the passions of the happy person. In verse two it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. What is it that delights your heart? What is it that makes you truly happy? Is it a dish of ice cream? Is it a drumstick? Uh, you know, off of the... <laughs> Off the barbecue grill? Is it seeing your grandkids? That makes uh, that just fills my life with light and joy all the time, it seems like. But the fact of the matter is that that person that is divinely happy will have their joy and delight in, it'll be found in the Word of God. It'll be found in the Word of God. Now, um, I've, I've told this story before, but I think it, it's a great way to illustrate this truth, and that is that when Linda and I were dating, she was living in Phoenix for a time, and I was living in California, and one year from my birthday, as we just started out, she gave me some lovely gifts. And, and she's a great gift giver. She's so generous. And most of you know that. She brought, bought me a beautiful pen. And, uh, and I, I still have it. And, uh, and then she bought me a beautiful leather-bound journal. And she said, during these times that we're away and we're spending time alone with God and we're trying to build a relationship with Him and with each other, I had this great idea that what we should do is we should, as we spend time with God and we're dealing with our thoughts of one another, that we record them in a journal. And uh, so I've get, I bought this pen and this journal for you. And she said, I've taken the liberty to buy myself a journal identical to the one that, that I'm giving you. She said, I started out by writing some journal entries in this one, some poems that I wrote and that the Lord gave to me. And... Uh, and then we get back together again, we can trade journals. And, 
and I can see how the Lord is speaking to you and what He's doing in your heart about our relationship, and you can see what He's doing in my heart. And it allowed us to see one another in a different light and at a different level. How many of you know that? I mean, I began to be able to have a window in her heart that, that really helped me draw closer to her. Okay, now I was head over heels in love with her from the first time I laid eyes on her, but let me tell you something, that really carried things to another level. Now, do you think that, that I took her journal and I'm like, that's nice. And I went on with my day. Do you think that's what I did? No, I didn't. You know, I couldn't wait for her to get off the plane. And I, and, and I was hoping that she and her little Prada bag or her whatever it was that she had coming off the airplane, that, that she would have that in her bag, that we could swap. And as soon as possible, I could start reading. And normally it was many, many pages, sometimes 20 or 30 pages of, of journaling between our visits. No, you know what I did? I, I took that journal and I read it. And you think I just read those entries once? No, I read them and I reread them and I parsed them and I weighed them and I thought about them and I prayed about them and I cherished it. I knew where it was at all times. I put it someplace that it, I, I would treasure it and not just anybody could get at it. I didn't spill stuff on it and didn't let anybody get to it. It was something that I treasured. It was love letters between her and the Lord and she let me in on it and sometimes love letters to me it was something that I was absolutely passionate about and to the extent that I have it on my shelf in my office today and even now almost 20 years later I'm reading those old journal entries and it stirs my heart to passion you see I'm, I delight myself in that I wonder is that the way we feel about God's word I wonder if we just dig into it, and, and it's God's love letter to us, and we cannot wait to get our hands upon it. Because really, what God has shared with us here are His deepest thoughts and intimate thoughts toward us, His purpose with us, His plan for us. And let me say that that happy person will find that their joy and delight are found in the Word of God. Their heart is filled with joy, get this, from the subject and the author of the book. Now look, the subject of Linda's journalings was awesome to me, but it was even more awesome considering who it was that wrote it. Do you understand? And that it was something special between us. And so, listen, that person who's passionate about the subject of the book and the one that it reveals will have a life characterized by peace and joy in knowing the truth. Here's why. Are you ready? Psalm 119, verse 135. It says, Great peace have they which love thy law. That means the Word of God. And nothing shall offend them. You know what? No one's going to steal away their peace and joy because that which roots and grounds them is the joy and passion derived from the truth of this Word and the one that it reveals. So what other people do is not going to steal away their peace and joy. So the passions of the happy person, they're wrapped up in the truth of the Word of God and who it reveals. And thirdly, notice with me, the ponderings of the happy person. For the Bible says, not only is his delight in the law of the Lord, but it says, in his law doth he meditate, day and night. The ponderings. What does it mean to ponder? Well, it means to meditate. It means to think deeply upon and consider, to weigh out. And so that is really what we understand to be meditation here revealed in God's Word. And so I wonder what it is that occupies your thought life. Now the truth of who the Word of God reveals should occupy our thought lives. The happy person is going to be thinking on the Lord. You know, we just think about Isaiah 26. It says there, in verse number 3, that thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. He's meditating upon the Lord and the things of the Lord. And so, the truly happy person or the joyous Christian they do not focus upon the personalities and offenses of others, but on the truth that liberates them from them. 
So you want to be happy? You're not going to be obsessing about how pe- what people have done, what they have said. Okay? Now, all of us know people like that, do we not? Are they happy? Are they yes or no? You can go, you can go ahead and go like that. No, they're not. All right. This, you know, the rattle won't bother me a bit. Okay? Uh, listen, they're not happy. They're bitter. They're grinding on it. They're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Did you know that joy and bitterness cannot simultaneously dwell in the same heart? The fact is that the ponderings or the meditation of a happy person, they're upon God and the truth that liberates me from the people that I'm getting down over. The stuff that they've done to me that I can't get out of my head. I let that choke my thoughts of God right out of my thought processes. And so look, if I want to truly experience the joy of the Lord, then understand this, that I'm going to meditate upon Him and His Word. And so long as I'm meditating upon personalities and offenses, I'm not going to be experiencing the joy of the Lord because I'm not going to be filled with the thoughts of Him and what He's telling me in His love letter. Can someone say amen? Okay, I just want to make sure you're awake and you're hearing me. Okay, now here's what, understand this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Now what is a law? Do you know? Huh? I I can't hear you have the mask on. Uh, Anyway, uh, look, it's an ordinance, right? It's, It's directions for living, if you would, right? Could we say that? Would that be all right we said that? It says directions for living. So, if, get this now, okay, in the law of God, he's meditating day and night. That's what he's pondering. So, you know what this means? They are not devising their own way, but seeking to know and understand God's way. They don't take the mantle of having to try to figure the answers out themselves and the burden that comes along with trying to be the junior Messiah over your own issues, but putting the burden of that where it rightfully belongs upon God. The Bible says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. But what the person who is emptied of joy is always doing, is trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this thing, not delighting in the law of God, which will give you what to do if you just open the Word of God and study it out. Years ago, I uh, preached in a church outside of Lansing, Michigan. And I arrived early for the meeting, and the pastor took me out for a meal. And while we were having a meal together, he shared with me that earlier in the year, he had invited a young evangelist to come and preach in his church in a midweek service. And every summer he would have a, a, a revival type services in the midweek service. And uh, he would bring in a guest preacher. And he said that the preacher arrived a day early and they were fellowshipping over a meal and they were talking about the things of the Lord and what God was showing to each the other in God's Word. And the host pastor asked the young pastor, um, How many times do you suppose you've read the Bible all the way through? Just an innocent question in conversation. And the young pastor looked at the host pastor and said, Well, I never have. And and the host pastor choked on his coffee and thought, You know, I'm inviting you here to preach to our people, and, and you're standing up there to give them instructions in the way of the Lord, and you've not even read the instruction manual? Something wrong with this, right? So you know what he did? He canceled the meeting. The guy was there. I mean, the meeting was tomorrow. He told the fellow, he said, listen, I'm, I'm glad that God's called you, but I, uh, listen, call me when you've read the Bible th- all the way through. And, and then we can have a conversation. Now you might think, well, that was harsh, or he shouldn't have ever done that, or that might have wounded that kid forever. And, and maybe it did for all I know. But let me just say something to you. The fact is, if you've never read the instruction manual and, and, and you don't love it enough to try to find out the answers, you know what you're going to find yourself doing? Drafting your own. Right up here. Thinking, I've got to figure this thing out. When God has all the answers right here, 
For in him, the Bible says in Colossians 2, 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not in you. But we have to act like it's in us, and we've got to figure it out, and we're never happy because we always come to the wrong conclusions. And so the ponderings of a happy person will never cause them to think, what am I going to do? But they'll think, God, what would you, through your law, which is your instruction for living, would you have me to do? So that will lead you to peace in the end. Fourthly, look at this with me, please. The planting of the happy person. The planting of the happy person. He should be like a tree. What's the next word? Can't hear you have a mask on. Planted by the rivers of water, all right? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So what that tells us is God purposed to plant the seed. It didn't just happen by some natural consequence, all right? Everything that's happened hasn't happened by some chain reaction in the cosmos between two single-cell carbon-based life forms colliding and, you know, billions and billions of later uh, years later, you know, here we are, right? And folks, if you ever believed in entropy, just look at our government leaders. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm, that's another conversation. But let me say this to you. You coming to, into relationship with God was not something coincidental. And this life of joy that he calls us to, comes from him. And it's not something coincidental. It doesn't just all of a sudden happen. Oh, I got a race today. I'm so happy. And we think that that's what it's talking about. No, it's talking about the joy of the Lord. That's happy on the day that you don't get a raise and the guy that's always sucking up to the boss gets one. You, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and you still have joy on that day. It, you still have joy on the day where you go to the doctor and he tells you you need to lose 30 pounds, right? And, uh, and, and it's not what you wanted to hear, that you're morbidly obese and that you're at risk of COVID-19, right? I mean, I, I don't feel like I want to say, I'm in right up, right up, right down, right happy all the time when I hear that. What about you? you maybe, maybe that's you, I don't know. But, you know, look, the, the fact is that I understand that it comes from the inside of me. God purposed this in His sovereignty. And this is God purposing to plant us which is a picture of God placing us in Christ at salvation. And what it reveals to us is this, that the non-believer does not have the capacity for real joy. They have the capacity to get excited when they you know, get a winning ticket on the parable. They have the capacity to get excited when uh, you know, uh, they get a good deal on a, on a new car. They, they get to go on a good vacation or uh, they, they win a sales contest or whatever it is that kind of advances them. They get excited about it. But you know what? Then reality sinks in and they don't have anything to sustain them until the next existential experience to lift them. But God's people have something that can carry them, much like that proverbial poem that many of you have on the bathroom wall called Footprints in the Sand, right? So we, we see that when we are rooted in God, we will not be moved when the torrents of life threaten us. When God plants you by the rivers of water, those roots run deep and strong. And when the flood stage comes, you're not getting washed away, man. God purposed to put you there. God put you in Christ. And you know what? Uh, listen, we're standing on the solid rock. The rock of Jesus Christ. And I can rejoice in knowing that. And knowing that when trouble comes, I'm rooted deeply in God, and I'm not going to get washed away. Sad to say that too many believers have a relationship with God that's a mile long and an inch deep. They don't have anything to sustain them when trouble comes. They don't have any concept of what it means to have real joy, much less how that comes about in my life and what it is that I'm allowing to impact that such that I'm not experiencing it. So listen with me carefully as I move rapidly towards the end, we notice not only the practices of the happy person and the passions, the ponderings, and the planting, but we see the past, the past. Now, as I talk to many people and as you talk to them, one of the indicators that people are, are, are really struggling with joy is their fixation on their past bad decisions. And you know the old accuser of the brethren, he knows how to put those up in your face. True or false? 
How many of you have ever had the devil put it in your face? All right. And how many of you have ever had one of his minions put it in your face? You know, there are people that are more than happy to remind you of your past failures. Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes we let that get to us to the extent that that becomes an obsession to us. And the fact of the matter is that when, when we understand the truth of this, we understand this, that a happy person, the sovereignty of God and the water of the word wash the stain of the past away. Though your sins be like crimson, they should be as white as wool, or, or, or be like, uh, though they be red like crimson, they should be red, white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should uh, be as white as wool. Listen, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as white as snow. I'm not losing it and I'm not on meds. I just had a little brain cramp there for a moment, okay? But let me, let me say this to you. God washes them away with the water of the Word. And when you get planted, you begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Guess what God says? What He told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you. He didn't say such are some of you. What you were is no longer who you are. I'm defined by who I am in Christ. And the water of the Word of God washes away the impurity of the past. Such were some of you. The past is no longer our preoccupation or our mental prison. It's something that happened. It's not something that has to define who I am or alter the course of my destiny. And so, when I understand that the rivers of water... God says, I'm going to plant this seed and form someone in my image. And what He allows the river of His Word to do is wash away those old wild oat seeds that want to take root in the seedbed of your heart. He lets the water wash them down the pipe and they're gone forever. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And so look, there are many people who are depressed because they sit around with woeful regrets over life that they've lived in their past. Choices that they made over which they have deep and woeful regrets. But listen, understand this. The water of the Word of God planted you and He made you a new creation to, to spring up into the very image of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice a word here. And I didn't put this in my notes, but God really struck me with this. It says in verse 3, that bringeth forth his fruit in what? His season. Okay? Do you know what? The other day I was talking to a guy that went out hunting last year. He got drawn for elk up in the Flagstaff area and he got skunked. Okay? He went up there and he got nothing. All right? Uh, and you know what? That was last season. You know what he did this year? He put in for another tag. You know why? It's a new year. It's a new season. And the fact that he got skunked in the old season doesn't mean he's going to in this season. Listen, since Christ came into my life, it's a new season of time in my life. I'm no longer defined by who I was, but by who I am in the person of Jesus. And the flow of the living Word of God has washed away the old wild oat seeds that want to take root in the seedbed of my heart. And praise the Lord, He planted a tree by the rivers of water that will bring forth His fruit in His season of time. Amen? <laughs> look, look, to everything there is a time and a season and a purpose and a time under the heaven. So look, uh, I, I get excited about this. So we are given a new life in Christ that foliates with joy and gladness now. Praise the Lord. i got to move quickly. Let, we see the prosperity of the happy person. We hear a lot about health and wealth, prosperity doctrine today in the church. And it seems to occupy even some who have been more fundamental preachers' thoughts as they're trying to figure out how can I appeal to more of the masses and, and keep those cards and letters coming in as it were. And the fact remains this, that the prosperity that God wants to bring in your life 
does not have to inherently be material or monetary. What we discover is that in verse 3, he says this, He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit. He wants to prosper you that way. In his season, his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, there's a lot that's packed into this and we don't have time to do it all. But I'm going to tell you something. True joy can't be manufactured and it can't just be put on. We can't put on the dog. You know why? Because leaves don't foliate and look beautiful and then all of a sudden they wither. And then tomorrow, you know, they're out. They don't do it that way. You understand? When, when a tree produces that foliation, it's, it's fully foliated, Right? And it's not going to wither when God does it. So when we go home, we're not going to wither back up and feel depressed. And then we're going to put on smiles and put on the dog when we're around other people. It's something that's genuine that God produces within us. And so look, the blessing of the Lord is a fulfilling and enduring fruit that He produces. That's a part of the prosperity that we experience in our life. And understand, there is no frustration because God is the one that fulfills us. I'm I'm telling you this. As I've lived a life these 57 years and I look back over the times that I've lived for myself, do you know what I have to show for that? A whole pile of woe, agony, scars, wounds, and regrets. But do you know what I have to show for time with God? Nothing but comfort, peace, and joy. Now, there have been times where that's come through chastening, but afterward it yielded the peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I have no regrets for having submitted myself to God. I have great regret for having submitted myself to the whims of my ungodly and unregenerate carnal flesh. The fact of the matter is this. That it's terrible to think how much time, energy, effort, and resource have gone in to the things that have amounted to nothing. You understand that? That'll make you unhappy, right? How many of you have ever spent money on an investment and it yielded zero and you lost everything? How many? Look, my hand's been there. I don't know if you've ever gone in on a multi-level marketing scheme that somebody really convinced you was going to be the best thing since sliced bread, you know, and you put the money down and the next thing you know, the guy that, you know, ran the opportunity meeting, he's driving a new Corvette and you can't even afford to, you know, pay for the repairs on your Yugo. And, you know, you're kind of upset about it. And the fact of the matter is this, that look, there's no regrets when you surrender your life to God and you choose to live with the joy of the Lord in your heart by finding your fulfillment in God and not in the way of this ungodly world. The fruit of God, the fruit of the God-directed person will be beautiful, and it will be plenteous. It's not just spasmodic. It doesn't just happen occasionally. But when we truly are experiencing the joy of the Lord, you know what? It's going to be a beautiful thing, and it'll be plenteous. It's not going to be spasmodic. It's not going to be occasional. It'll be something that will be sustained in your life. And that's not to say that it's every moment of every day. I don't know anybody that experiences that. But I know a lot of people that are sure working at it. And you're looking at one. I'm going to tell you this, lastly, the perspective of the happy person. The perspective. You know what? They're able to step back and take perspective on all that they've learned from the Word of God and from the Lord Himself. And here's what they see. The ungodly are not so. They don't have that joy and fulfillment. They don't have that happiness in their life. They're not like that. But what are they like? The chaff which the wind driveth away. How many of you know what chaff is? You know what chaff is? I know you do because you came from Kansas. And those that came from Colorado know. Look, if you have a stalk of grain, okay, and there's a head on the stalk that holds the grains, whether it be oats or wheat or barley or whatever it is. Around those grains or kernels is what? Chaff. It's the hull that we often call it. Okay? And do you know what? When they harvest the grain, what do they do with the chaff? They throw it away. It blows in the wind. Sometimes if there's enough of it, they burn it. You know why? 
It's worthless. It's an empty shell. You understand? It's empty. And you know what? When I choose the life of God and the joy that He gives, and I look at the world, I realize that what they have to offer is empty, it's useless, it's unfulfilling, it's vain, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and blown with the wind. And I must take perspective on the life of God and know that it is the thing that will ultimately endure. But that life of running around thinking I'm going to be happy living an ungodly life, it's chaff, man. It's going to leave you empty and coming to the end of your days like Solomon of old who said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But I don't know about you. I want to live my days with the joy of the Lord in my life with true divine happiness. And so, look, they know as well that the ungodly will not be numbered among the righteous. They understand that their end is damnation. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? I'm going to tell you something. Only a believer has a real reason to be happy. Nobody else in the world has a, has a real reason to be happy. You say, well, they can get happy because they got a raise or, you know, because, uh, you know, somebody picked up the ticket at dinner or they're happy because they had a new grandbaby. Look, I'm not talking about that. That's just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because the end is going to be devastating. Do you understand? So they don't have a real reason. Only the believer in Jesus has a reason, and when we take that perspective, whatever it is that we have in this life, we find our fulfillment in God, not in our, our digs, not, not our place where we live, or what is inside that home, or what we drive, or where we vacation, or what it is that we possess. Those are not the things that in the end ultimately fulfill. Only God can fulfill you. And so, only the ungodly the un, only the godly will be numbered among the righteous. The ungodly are going to damnation. And so, look, we read in the Scriptures, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Now, that's a relief to me. Is it to you? He's watching over me. He's guiding my life, and He knows the path that I take. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. So, if I'm, if I'm that truly, divinely happy person, I have a sense of relief in knowing that God is guiding my life. And yet, there will be compassion in my heart because I contemplate the end of those that I'm passing by every day. And while I have the joy that I'm going to heaven and that I have a relationship with God who's watching over me, I'm concerned for the, for the people that do not have that. You see, those that are numbered among the ungodly will come to a devastating end. But folks, we have the truth of the Word of God and the blessing of who it reveal, reveals. And that alone can bring us fulfillment in life and true joy. Folks, you can experience divine happiness, the joy of the Lord. Are you living it? Are you experiencing it? It's not a panacea. It's not a pipe dream. It's something you can have. Folks, I'm just going to say this, that I believe God wants us to live our life in such a way that the ungodly see this stark contrast and they think, I'd like to have what they've got. Let me ask you this. How many of you have known some truly rich people in your life? Some of you have. How many of you have known rich people that were really not happy? Yeah, me too. Now, how many of you know some poor people? You say you're looking at one. All right. How many of you have known poor people that were just as happy as a clam? You know, they had what money could never buy. God gives it for free. Folks, let's find our joy in the joy seller. No, the joy giver. It's only in Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to learn the lesson of divine happiness and that it comes from You and what You reveal to us from Your Word. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for a moment. Perhaps you're seated here today and you would say, Pastor, I've been saved and I know it and, and yet I haven't been living very much what you've been talking about. I, I, I really 
probably would think that there are some people that wonder if I'm really even a Christian at times because of my lack of true joy. And perhaps that's a concern to you, that God is speaking to your heart by His Spirit. And maybe there's one that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I want to live a life of enduring joy. Pray for me that I would seek the Lord in His face through His Word, find my fulfillment in Him. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Is there one like God bless you? God bless you this morning. Then perhaps there's somebody that would say, you know, I'm not even sure that if I died today that I would spend forever in heaven with God, but I am concerned about that. Pastor Mark, don't embarrass me, but please pray for me. Here's my hand. Is there someone like that today? I wonder if you'd lift your hand. Someone like that? I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I'm concerned about it. Please pray for me. Here's my hand. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word and what it reveals and for who it reveals. Lord, help us to find our fulfillment in it. Lord, bless your word to our hearts long after we have left this place. And may we experience the joy of the Lord in our hearts every day. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't always feel good, neither do you. I don't always think that everything's going well, and neither do you. But that notwithstanding, we can live with joy every day. And that's God's plan. You think about that. And I hope that when you go home, you'll, you'll think a little bit more about it. And then determine to be His witness by letting your life, the tree of your life, foliate with good fruit and joy. And uh, I know that it would make a forever difference for so many. Thank you.